So here we are. This honeymoon has happened. We had a great week last week um, experiencing the honeymoon together. And uh, again, I loved seeing some of the Facebook posts. Some of you guys were buying flowers and roses and chocolates and doing some uh, fun things, kind of just creating that the newness of the relationship. There's something fun about just doing something out of the ordinary and surprising um, one yourself, but also the one that you uh, say that you love. And so it's a good week following all that. So there are three stages to marriage as we continue our series here on Vow. And have you ever had that moment where you're just kind of like, I did what? I messed up. You ever had that? Guys, let's raise our all hands are together. We've done it. That moment where we've unplugged the crock pot. You remember? And it's pretty quick, pretty soon after the honeymoon. The honeymoon literally means a sweet month. All right, it's that cycle of the moon. The moon starts one cycle of the moon in the spring. Then you begin to settle into life. You come back from the honeymoon and wherever you went. And Becky and I came back from our honeymoon and we had one dollar. We settled into life comfortably with that one dollar. And uh, I think we went. I think we had ramen, probably, or a hamburger helper. We did a lot of hamburger helper. We even did a lot of helper without hamburger. Um, I mean, I was, that's, that's when you know you broke, <clears throat> when you're just having helper without hamburger. You hit real life. So that movement from the honeymoon stage then into the disillusionment stage, that illusion that you look across the room or you're sitting there and you realize, hey, my husband does actually stink at moments. His socks stink. He doesn't always wear cologne. He's coming in from the yard or wherever. He stinks. And men, you see your bride maybe for the first time and the realness of who she is, and she doesn't have her face on, or whatever y'all call it, makeup, and you're like, wow, yay. It's that disillusionment stage. Not that what's ever happened in my house, but those moments. And it's whenever you're kind of there, and all of a sudden, those myths of marriage kind of hit you. That, you know what, I thought it was going to be this. And so, as I, again, as I counsel young couples as they're thinking about it, I tell them, it's, it's like a train wreck. You two are in love and you're excited and so the headlights are, you're moving toward one another and then whammo, you have the crash, the, the wedding and the honeymoon and the next thing you know, you're opening up everyone's baggage and you realize you got a lot more stuff that you brought into this marriage than you realized. And so your background, your family, all those different things impact the marriage relationship. So here's a myth that some of us maybe believe, especially if you've grown up in a Christian home, you, you just expected your marriage to be problem-free because you grew up in a Christian home and everyone at church smiles and, and no one ever has problems at church. We just kind of go about doing life. And so nobody told you that there would be conflicts or problems in a marriage and in a relationship. And so you kind of struggle with that and don't realize that good marriages go through significant amount of conflict that's constructive, that builds through the relationship. Another, another myth is that you expected your spouse to know exactly what you needed, when you needed it, and why you needed it. That doesn't happen, does it? All the ladies are like, he still doesn't know, and I've been married 45 years. We try, but, you know, those guys are a little slower sometimes. You, you think your spouse ought to know what you need. So we kind of have this disillusionment. The real issue in this moment is not that you've married the wrong person. But the disillusionment stage is the real issue is whether you are married, as married people, if you are the right person. Draw a circle around yourself, and as you draw a circle around yourself, begin to say, what is it in me, what are the personality, character traits in me that are the issue, instead of focusing on the other person, draw around here, because you are the right person, 
for your husband or wife, but you have to draw a circle around you and begin to work on yourself instead of working on the other person. That's our natural inclination in the disillusionment stage is to say to ourselves, I'm perfect, I'm right, I'm the right person, but now as I look at them and I ref- they're reflecting back to me who they truly are, eh, there's some work that needs to be done. And so that's the disillusionment stage. And we want to try to work on the other person when in reality the Scripture tells us draw a circle around yourself and begin to work here, work in your own heart, your own mind, your own character, your own stuff that's annoying, and allow that to, to see the change happen in the other person. The third stage of marriage is commitment. And this is this deeper level of commitment when you decide to commit to loving your mate and the journey of a deep, long-lasting marriage relationship happens in these stages. Because you're going to have those cycles of of honeymoon. You're going to have the cycles of disillusionment. But that draws you to a deeper cycle of commitment. And that's why, you know, we can ask some of the couples that have been around here that have been married for 40, 50, 60 years and say, hey, listen, there's, there's those moments of honeymoon and those moments of even disillusionment, but it draws us even to a deeper commitment to where we can't even imagine the idea of not being together. The inevitability of moving out of the honeymoon stage is going to come, though. And in that moment, usually it's conflict that causes it. Conflict occurs when both parties feel in some way that they've been wronged, hurt, or taken advantage of. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Song of Solomon, chapter 5. And there's a lot of verses, and so I'm going to read fast so you listen fast. You got it? So... Song of Solomon, chapter 5, starting in verse 2, and we're going to dig in. And so again, they've just had their honeymoon, and they're they're at the house. Life is happening. The the husband's at work. The wife's at work. And so here they are, starting in verse 2 of chapter 5. This is the young woman talking first. She says this, I slept. So she's hanging out in bed, but my heart was awake. So here she is in this dream state again that we've talked about several times over the last few weeks. When I heard my lover knocking and calling, open to me. My treasure, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. So he's there. He's knocking on the door. Now, this is one of those I Love Lucy moments. Y'all remember that show? Okay, and I Love Lucy. They did not share the same bed, right? They had two separate beds. We couldn't have that on TV. Well, even back in the further back days, I don't even know what shows were on in the further back days of I Love Lucy, but those days way back when, they didn't even, not even not share a bed, but they didn't even share rooms together. So husband and wife would get married, and there was the king's chambers and the queen's chambers. And so you kind of, you separated totally. And so whenever there was a, a it was easy to, to go your separate ways after dinner. And now we have this where we don't do that. But in those days, the husband would knock on the door, the wife would knock on the door and say, hey, I'm reading, get away. All right? So here the husband is. He's coming home from a late night of work. She's already cooked and cleaned and She's already kind of ready for night. She's reading her, her book. She's got her Kindle out, and she's reading a book, and she's, she's kind of in that dream state. She's probably falling asleep. This is what I imagine. The Kindle's on her chest. She's falling asleep and has no idea when her husband has come home. And then all of a sudden, he knocks on the door, and he's like, Hey, honey, I'm home. I want to talk. Potentially. And so she's thinking to herself, she's like, What? What's happening? Why is this going on? And she's like, Go away following along you got that in your head open to me my treasure my darling my love my perfect one my head is drenched she's come back from work my head is drenched with dew my hair with the dampness of the night and she responded i've taken off my robe why should i get dressed again i've washed my 
my feet? Should I get them soiled again? Basically, she's saying, oh, I've got to get up. I've got to walk across the floor. I've already washed my feet. I'm going to have to wash my feet again before I get back into bed. I'm okay. Okay, I'll get up. And so she's kind of struggling through this because marriage takes work, and sometimes those deep conversations need to happen, and we're extremely tired. And then you add kids into the mix, and you're really, really tired. And that's when conflict happens because we're tired. We kind of have our own deal. We want to go our separate ways, and we've got to talk about something. And this, this idea of just kind of this two heads because we're tired and we don't really want to deal with it. Am I right? Been there? My lover tried to unlatch the door, and my heart jumped with inside of me. So even though she's tired, she's excited about the fact that her husband still wants to communicate. And wants to, she thinks maybe he's got flowers. Probably not, but he might. Verse 5, I jumped up to open the door for my love, and my hands were dripped with perfume. In other words, here I'm coming, I'm excited, I'm ready for this moment, I'm ready to see you. I know I said I wasn't, but here I am. My fingers are dripped with a lovely myrrh as I pulled back the bolt, and I opened to my lover, but he's gone. He got tired of waiting. He heard the, oh, and he's like, okay. I thought I was going to say hi, but I'm moving on. In that moment, her heart sank. And I searched for him, but I could not find him anywhere. In other words, he'd left the palace. He'd left the house. I called to him, but there was no reply. Her husband in her dream had come home, and she was, he was having an opportunity. He's like, hey, I'm coming home. I want you to know that I'm home, kind of tell you about my day. And she'd made that request, and he'd heard it. And so she was coming, he was coming home to tell her. And then all, the first thing he hears is, oh, really? I have to hear about your day because she's tired. And so they kind of separate. They were both talking but they were using different dictionaries. Guys have a dictionary, and girls have a dictionary. Whatever family you come from, you have a dictionary, and she has a dictionary. These two different dictionaries, two ways of talking, and sometimes they just don't jive together. You've got to get on dictionary.com and figure out what each other are talking about and figure it out. That's why communication is not just words, but there's so much nonverbal communication that happens. Because, listen, there are times where I'm watching a football game, and the Cowboys or whoever, and I'm into that, and I'm going, and Becky's having a great conversation with me, she thinks, because I'm going, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. And so immediately by Tuesday or Wednesday of the next week, I get a whole different vibe from her than maybe I got on Wednesday or Sunday, and she's kind of getting the cold shoulder. I'm like, hey, what's going on? She's like, listen, you have not done a thing you told me you were going to do. And I was like, well, when did I say I was going to do it? She said, you know, on Sunday, we were talking, the Cowboys game was going. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was saying, uh-huh, yeah, 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 because I was watching the play and saying, hey, that looks good. I had no idea you were communicating with me. So early on, we had to work on and change our vocabulary and our times for communication. And we decided that during football games is probably not a good time for you, unless you really want a new car or something like that, for me to communicate for us to communicate together because I was not listening in those moments, all right? So the different dictionaries and different times. Communication is the process of sharing yourself and realizing that that's not just words. Maybe you've seen those where the guy's got his newspaper and he's got his coffee and she's talking and he's like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that moment where she pulls down the newspaper and says, are you listening to me? And that getting that attention for us. We do that with our children. There were times where my children were younger and they were not at the same height that they are now and I wanted to make sure that they could hear me and make sure that they were understand what I was saying and so what I would do in those moments especially with the one that's not a female 
I would get down because they, they were they were you know they were children and they were distracted. And so I would literally I would get down on the same level and I would kind of grab them and put blinders on them. You know those horse blinders. And I would get, and I would kind of put my hands on the side of his face and kind of blind his eyes because you know kids, especially young kids, whenever they it's like squirrel time. You're like you're talking, hey son, I need to tell you something important. Squirrel. You know, I mean, things are going around, and so you're like, hey, I'm not. And so I was like, whoa, okay, okay, hold on. And so I'd get right there, and I would just kind of grab him by the face and begin to have this one-on-one, heart-to-heart conversation and move, remove distractions. Sometimes, wives, you need to do this with your men because we're still four- and five-year-old in our, in our thinking, and we get squirrel, you know, things going by, a cool car goes, well, go squirrel, you know, something happens. And so we're kind of doing that. So sometimes, ladies, I mean, you, guys, if you happen this week, you just, you just text me, okay? And so kind of get there and just say, hey, listen, honey, I love you, but I need this from you to get on the same page, the same dictionary. One of the things that I do that I teach couples whenever they come in for marriage counseling, because communication, besides Jesus, communication is the key foundation for a marriage relationship. One of the very first things that we talk about is your communication style, and that when conflict happens, we move from trying to solve a problem to beginning to attack one another in conflict because we go into self-defense mode, and so we start lobbing bombs at one another, hoping that we can knock each other out and solve it and just be done for a little bit. And so one of the things I do is I have couples, and I tell them, hey, it's going to be weird. It's going to look awkward. It's going to feel awkward, but what I want you to do is I want you to turn your chairs and turn your chairs to face each other and then move those chairs close enough where you're actually knee-to-knee and then you grab hands, and you got your hands together, and you talk. And we begin with one issue. Let's talk through just one issue that you have a conflict, that you have a situation that you're discussing in your marriage right now. And it's amazing how being knee-to-knee and having your hands in each other's hands, that it really changes, and you're looking eye-to-eye, and it changes the dynamic of that conflict. Because whenever you're in a conflict and you kind of get excited, I mean, you want to just start to just share the depths of your heart in the conflict, you realize that you're squeezing your partner's hand like really, really tight. And so it's interesting to see like couples like pull apart like, yeah, you're literally physically hurting me in this moment because you're so impacted by this conflict. And so for you, maybe even this week, just, hey, when stuff begins to kind of break down and, and it begins to become painful in that moment, you go from trying to solve a conflict to lobbying to one another, just someone just say, stop, let's take a time out. Let's pull back just a moment, and let's just set a time. This is something that one of our mentors in our marriage early on just said, hey, Chris and Becky, there's going to be moments where, Chris, you are not right, and she is, and you guys are going to be conflicted about that. And so in that confliction, somebody call a timeout and say, hey, listen, this is obviously an important issue. Let's talk about it. Let's set a time. Let's talk about it and follow up with that. And so we do the whole knee-to-knee thing and talk, and and it's really hard in those moments to not feel compassion and empathy and a desire to solve the issue and resolve it in a positive way when you're knee-to-knee, hand-to-hand, and you're looking at each other face-to-face. Because a lot of times we, even, we just start laughing. It's that idea of taking my two kids and saying, listen, you guys got conflict. The two of you get in the bathtub together and hug it out. It feels silly in that moment, but what that does is it breaks down that tension and it re- makes you realize that, hey, some of these things that we argue about and fight about are not super, super important it's just that moment, the tensions got right, kind of raised up, and so we started becoming defensive and end up hurting the other person and saying things that we don't mean to say. Communication is a process of sharing yourself and sharing thoughts verbally and nonverbally, and hopefully at some point you'll begin to accept and understand and realize, hey, we have two different dictionaries that we're working from, and it takes a process 
of doing that. Because here's what happens. When you actually begin to try to communicate, here's kind of the process that happens. You say what you want to communicate. So you say, hey, this is what I want. And you kind of say that. And then, but because of the words you use or however, whatever, there's something else that you actually communicate. You say, hey, take out the trash and whatever. The third thing that happens is then your spouse hears what you say. And because they have a different dictionary, they begin to interpret it even a little bit different than what. So that's the next phase is what they actually hear you saying. So you've said something and you said it and you probably didn't even say it in the way that you wanted to. So there's already a mess up. And then all of a sudden your spouse gets entered in and they begin to hear it because their dictionary is a little different Then they begin to change even the thoughts that you've presented to them. And then the next thing happens, your spouse then tells you what they've heard and it is radically different maybe than what you've said. And not because they're trying to change stuff. They just have a different dictionary. It's the old telephone game. You kind of put it up and you, you say something in there. And for whatever reason, stuff gets distorted. And so then that's when conflict happens. We get excited. We get mad. We, we kind of go back. Instead of saying, hey, listen, well, not quite what I said. Let's continue to talk and process this out. So this idea of finding a pooled share of meaning of words and of ideas so that we can move forward and not have conflict. So here this couple is in Song of, Song of Solomon chapter 5. Their first conflict happens, and they're trying to sort through this and figure it out. So then jump down to verse 10 with me. Verse 10 says this, My lover is dark and dazzling, better than 10,000 others. In other words, he's tall, dark, and handsome. Okay, so she's been running around, she's been chasing, she's in conflict, and she's trying to find him. And then all of a sudden she begins to remember how important and how valuable and who he is in her world. His head is the finest gold. He's got the crown on him. His wavy hair is black as a raven. We say that at my house all the time. Honey, I love your raven hair. It's awesome. Her eyes sparkle like doves beside springs of water. They're like jewels washed in milk. His cheeks are like garden of spices giving off fragrance. In other words, when she pulls close and gives him a hug, she can smell his cologne. She can smell him. His lips are like lilies perfumed with myrrh. His arms are like rounded bars of gold set with beryl. In other words, he's working out. I like what he's got. He's got some biceps and triceps, and you can touch his arms, and the lady goes, hmm, nice. You ever had that? Okay, maybe not. All right. His legs are like marble pillars set in sockets of finest gold. His posture is stately like the noble cedars of Lebanon. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is desirable in every way. Such a woman of Jerusalem is my lover, my friend. In other words, in this moment of conflict, she kind of pulls back. If you look at the verses before verse 10, she's kind of out and she's looking around and she's kind of struggling. And then she kind of, kind of pulls back from the conflict and begins to say, you know what? This guy loves me. And here's why I love him. And she begins to lift off, list off the characteristics and attributes of who he is. And it's not just the physical things, but also of his character. Remember, as we talked about previously, that one of the reasons that they dated and courted is so they could get to know one another and know each other's character. And so she's recalling that. So in the midst of conflict, she's saying, listen, I know that right now we're in conflict, but I, we spent so much time together. I know his character. I know who he is, and I know what he's about. I know that I know that I know that he's not leaving me. And so in that confidence, I can begin to think about who he is. And she, the power of words is extremely important. In James chapter 3, James talks about the power of words and how even small minor words can truly impact a relationship. 
He talks about it like a bit in the mouth of a horse and how a powerful animal like a horse can be moved and swayed by just that little bitty bit. That a rudder of a ship, the small piece of a rudder of a ship that can move that and turn that can change this huge ship and turn the direction of it. Listen, even the smallest, minutest, seemingly insignificant words said at exactly the right time can wound and hurt and destroy. So in your conflict... In those moments whenever the stress begins to get there and you begin to get real defensive and you want to just start lobbing stuff, I pray that I pray that I pray that most of us would just stop in that moment and someone would say, time out, because I'm about to be lobbing some stuff. Because listen, all of us in this room at some point in some way we've been in relationships, we've been hurt, we've been offended, and we've lobbed some verbal lobs. Sometimes very intentionally. And listen, those that we know the best, our husband and our wives and our children, our parents, those are the ones that are seemingly insignificant words in the midst of conflict. We can lob them, and we know that we know that we know that they're going to hit exactly where we want. Imagine battleship, and you can sink that ship if you want to. You can do some damage if you want to, and you just lob them out in the midst of hurt and pain and conflict, and wham. And listen. Once it's lobbed, once it's out, you cannot give it back. Once there's injury, once there's hurt, once there's pain and whatever in the midst of that, you cannot give that back. There's going to be a dent. You can do whatever you want to to try to fix it, but there's still going to be that stuff. And so listen, words are extremely powerful. So for us in our marriage and our relationships, whenever conflict comes, we begin to defend ourselves and we want to start lobbing stuff. I pray that you would just kind of time out, step back and say, listen, they're not trying to, we're we're in the midst of this. I need to stop because I don't want to lob something. And I don't want to sink the submarine. I don't want to sink the ship. I don't want to sink my marriage. I don't want to sink my friendship. I don't want to sink sink the relationship that I have with my children or my mother or my father. Because every single word that we say has meaning, especially with those that we know on a deepest level. Sometimes it's just convenient just to lob it and hurt them and know that they're going to turn away and walk away and we don't have to deal with it for a moment. But many times it's almost irreparable. What a husband and wife have to say to one another in a marriage can turn a marriage in different directions and even burn it down. So stop in that moment. Control your tongue. It's necessary because whatever we say helps or hinders, heals, helps build up or tears down. So think before you you speak. Avoid quarreling. Avoid criticism, the cut downs and the destructive words. And think about the power of praise. Listen, one of the things that that I see in marriages and I see in, in deep friendships, I also see in church. Because the more that we do life together, the easier it is for us to love. Because as we do life in community, we get to know one another. And so in those safe places of community, sometimes at that then, that's one of the reasons that I think people stay out of community is we don't want to be known. Because that stuff can be used against us and can be lobbed against us. And so even in that setting, careful with your words. There's a tribe in South Africa, the Babima tribe. And when someone does something dumb, they bring that person to the center of the village. Now, you can imagine this village, a couple hundred, 300 people in a village, and someone does something dumb. It's embarrassing enough for the entire village to know that you've done something dumb, okay? And so you've done something and you've messed up. They bring you to the center of the village, and they announce it to the entire village. And so everyone 
drops their work, drops their plow, drops whatever, and they're, whatever they're doing, and they come to the center of the village, and they surround this person. Can you imagine? This is like an earth-shattering moment for most of us. Like, hey, not only do people know my stuff, but now the entire village knows my stuff, and they're about to talk to me about it. Now, that would change church, wouldn't it? That would be like super accountability. Like, hey, man, I saw you such and such, and I heard this. Man, we're bringing you to the center of church, and we're going to church you right here. And so this tribe does exactly the opposite of what you think they would do. They gather around this person, and they circle around them, and they utter no negative words, only positive affirmation of the character of who this person is, the attributes of who they are, the deeds that they've done. And they literally spend days around that circle telling that person how valuable they are, how worthy they are, what they bring to the community, everything that they can possibly see about them. They do not stop until they have run out of words of positive affirmation. Now, can you imagine a church like that? Can you imagine a marriage like that? Can you imagine parenting like that? So many times we parent out of the idea of like, I'm going to catch you doing wrong because that's how we think God sees us. When in reality, God's saying, listen, I'm trying to catch you doing something right so I can bring the power of positive words because you are valuable. I don't create junk. And so this whole community gathers around this person and says, listen, why would you settle for second best? You are an incredible image of God being, and we're excited that you're a part of this community. We don't want to kick you out of the community. We want to draw you closer into community. So that's with us, for us, is in those moments when we want, we're in conflict and someone has messed up one way or another, they burnt the food or whatever that is, and you want to lob insults and like call them your mother-in-law's name or your father-in-law. That's the worst thing you can do right there. Do not call me my mother-in-law's, my father. Don't even call me my dad's name or my father-in-law. Do not. Because you will see me like rise up. And I will never call my wife by her mother's name. Oh, my Lord. I did that one time. It was not a good year. <laughs> Lobbing those things. Power. The power of praise and of positive words. His mouth uttered sweetness. She began to see, his, her heart began to change as she began to pursue her man. And in those moments, she wanted to back off, but she knew that she needed to, to go after him. Look at um, chapter 6. She says to the young woman of Jerusalem, Where has your lover gone, a woman of rare beauty? Which way did he turn so we can help you find him? My lover has gone down to the garden to his spices to browse in the gardens and gather the lilies. And here she is, the commitment to keep moving forward. I am my lover's, and my lover is mine. He browses. As he browses among, he sees that I am the one. Their heart's desire is to resolve the conflict. Look at verse 4. He's talking to her. You are beautiful, my darling, like the lovely city of Terzah. Yes, as beautiful as Jerusalem, as majestic as an army with billowing banners. Turn your eyes away, for they overpower me. In other words, when she looks at him, it's just an overwhelming who she is. Your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of Gilead. Again, they've got this shared vocabulary that they've had over the last few few weeks and few months, and they're beginning to share that, and it kind of draws them back in. They're removed from conflict. They're, they're knee to knee and hand in hand, and they're talking about and moving forward. Your teeth are as white as sheep that are freshly washed. Your smile is flawless. Each tooth is matched with its twin. Your cheeks are like rosy pomegranates behind your veil. 
even among 60 queens and 80 concubines and countless young women, I would still choose you, my dove, my perfect one. In other words, I can look around and I can see all these women, but listen, I know you and I choose you above anyone else. Even though I know more about you than anyone else, I still choose you. The favorite of my mother, dearly loved by the one who bore her. The young women see her and praise her, even as queens and royal concubines sing her praises. Who is this? Arising like the dawn, as fair as the moon, as bright as the sun, as majestic as an army with billowing banners. Never leave a thought or a feeling unsaid. Never leave a thought or a feeling unsaid that would bring positive power of praise to your relationship. In those moments, guys, we have the benefit now of technology where we can text. Just send a little note. When that moment, when you think of your wife, I mean, just, hey, thinking of you. And there's nothing that I enjoy more than there's, even in the midst of a meeting or even something, and I look down and the phone buzzes or whatever, and I look down and it's Becky or one of the kids saying, hey, hey, Dad, hey, Chris, hey, honey, I'm thinking of you. And the same thing as we talk about just in those moments, power full words of affirmation, of just saying, listen, I cannot imagine doing life with anyone else but you. Just in those moments, just stop. When you truly think of that person, just stop and say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Again, we have the, the power of texting or whatever now that we haven't had. used to have to make a phone call and they would never answer, right? Say those things. But also, never say those things that don't need to be said. Sometimes we say things and we just they're better left unsaid. The woman in verse 11 says this, I went down to the grove of walnut trees and out to the valley to see the new spring growth, to see whether the grapevines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. Remember, grapes and pomegranates are aphrodisiacs. And so she's saying, hey, another honeymoon's coming. Verse 12, before I realized it, my strong desires had taken me to the chariot of a noble man. Listen, reconciliation can happen. It takes hard work. Forgiveness takes hard work. It doesn't mean that things are forgotten, but the moving forward of a relationship. Forgiveness restores confidence to both of you that the marriage can withstand conflict. Again, think of it as a cycle. The honeymoon stage, things are going great. Someone does something crazy, says something. There's going to be some conflict. You've got to sort it out, think through it, get to that place of saying, listen, we're going to stop and we're going to focus on one another and to know and to trust and to communicate that the trust that the person on the other side here doesn't intend to hurt me, doesn't want to hurt me. They have their best intentions. And so I'm going to listen and to hear, and we're going to sort through this. We're going to find common vocabulary. We're going to find common understanding to know that, listen, I trust that Becky does not want to hurt me. She may have said something in such a way and I misinterpreted or whatever, and we're going to find common ground and we're going to move forward. Because once our common ground is Jesus, communication is key. So to trust that, hey, that we're going to be moving forward in this relationship. And that's where they're at. And then verse 13, return, return to us, O maid of Shulam. This is a Shulamite, which is probably her name. Come back, come back, that we may see you again. Why do you stare at this young woman of Shulam as she goes and moves so gracefully between two lines of dancers? In other words, they begin to call each other by their pet names and they begin to dance together, enjoying their time. Have you ever seen those couple maybe you are that couple every once in a while a song comes on and you're in your kitchen or in your house and you start to dance no nobody here okay well that happens i hear 
and other houses where you have that. And you just kind of break out into, into dancing. You break out into to laughing or whatever. And it, sometimes it's annoying to your children. They're like, oh, mom, oh, dad. But at the same time, it shows a healthy marriage. In a healthy marriage, you look out for number two, not number one. You energize your spouse. You bring energy to them. You eliminate the blame and shame game from the marriage relationship. You're willing to learn from your mate. You end disagreements because as you seek out resolution, there's a feeling of resolve at the end of a disagreement. At the end of a disagreement or conflict, you actually feel stronger and better about your marriage relationship. So this week, when you get into conflict, it's going to happen. I imagine I'm going to go to Latte on the Square. I'm going to go to Big State, and some of you are going to be hand-in-hand, knee-to-knee, and looking each other in the eye and saying, listen, I've got some issues here, okay? I want you to think, this is kind of corny, all right? But it works. Every couple that I've dealt with over the years are like, Chris, this is the corniest thing I've ever heard, and I was like, it will feel corny. But there's no way that you can keep lobbying when you're knee-to-knee, hand-in-hand, eye-to-eye, and this built-in trust to say, listen, I care about you. I want to hear what you have. I want to understand your issue. I want to understand why we are in conflict so that we can move forward because I love you and I care for you, and we have hopes and dreams beyond today together. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for today. Father, thank you that you've been a great example of what it means to love with grace. That even when we're in conflict with you, that you continue to seek us out. And that you offer words of affirmation and praise. Father, I pray for all the relationships in this room. Whether it's husband and wife. Whether it's friends whether it's parent and children, whatever the different relationships are, there's always going to be conflict. And so, Father, I just pray that as followers of Jesus, we would just, in those moments, just take a time out and step back and say, hey, you are too important to me to lob words that are cutting and hurting and that can sink this, this ship, this friendship between a husband and a wife and parents and kids. So, Father, we want to bring glory and honor to you in all of our relationships and offer words of affirmation. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So this morning, we just, again, a time of reflection. It's a place where you're saying, hey, we've been in conflict this week. It's been a perfect week at our house. We, we haven't had conflict this year yet. So, am I right? Yes. She smiled and said yes. No conflict. No, listen, there, it's going to be natural. It's going to be natural. And so for us to just admit and maybe even look at your spouse and say, hey, we've got some stuff to talk about. And maybe we've said some hurtful words this week and just kind of pull back and say, listen, I love you. I care for you. How can we move forward as a couple in this? God desires great things for you and for your marriage relationship.